today. Thank you for the, the gift we have of the break in summer and the beautiful weather that we have reminds us of your kindness and your goodness to us, especially in Texas. We thank you for the gift that we have in the church. You gather the people together to center around Jesus and to learn of him and to love him more. And we pray that your Holy Spirit work in us this morning to help that happen a little bit more as we see him uh, and what you have done for us in him, that we be drawn to him and forsake all lesser things. Uh, be with us as we go through the passage this morning. Give us wisdom and discernment to take in your word and make it a part of us, not just be hearers, but to be doers also of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Guess what? We're in Leviticus. We are. It's crazy. Yeah, it's 18. Uh, not 18. We're in Leviticus 8. I skipped a lot while you are gone. Leviticus 8, verse 14. And last week we talked about, we're going through the ordination ceremony of the priesthood. This is where the, the formal worship in the tabernacle is beginning. The, the priests have... Uh, not yet been set apart for the tasks that they've been called to do. And so there begins with an ordination ceremony uh, that, that sets apart Aaron and his sons to be priests. Last week, we looked at the preparations for this. Do you remember kind of what went on last week? The there was washing. What was significant about the washing? What happened there? Yeah, it's kind of an odd, humiliating thing. Humbling thing, not humiliating, but humbling thing. And it said what? And then they, he put the clothes on them, right? The, the uniform of the priest. The, the high priest was a little bit more ornate than the... He was a general to their rest of the soldiers kind of idea. He's totally exposed to the congregation as... I'm not my own, right? That's how that began. I'm not my own. I'm being washed. I'm being clothed. I belong to holy... I'm about to be ordained to be wholly committed to the service of God. That's kind of the idea behind it. Um, He then, Moses, uh, anoints the tabernacle and Aaron. Remember the special blend, oil, that he used to anoint the tabernacle and Aaron in preparation for what we're going to see today. Moses is also told to bring a bull and two rams, a bull for the sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering, and then another ram called for the, for the installation of the ordination offering. So you have this, all the preparation is there for this final stage, for this ordination of the priesthood and the formal beginning of tabernacle worship. Let's look at verses 14 through 17 and we'll work our, work our way through uh, these sacrifices. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. And he killed it. And Moses took the blood, and with his finger put it on the horns of the altar around it, and purified the altar, and poured out the blood at the base of the altar, and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails, and the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull and its skin and its flesh and its dung he burned up with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded 
Moses. Again, we're seeing this refrain again and again as the Lord commanded Moses in each of these sections. So you have the bull of the sin offering. And we've seen this generally before. We, we, we talked through the sin offering in, in Leviticus 4. And that's generally what's going on here. Um, but specifically, this is an exact fulfillment of the commands Moses was given in Exodus 29 about how the priests were going to be instituted. What's the purpose of the sacrifice, the sin offering? Do you remember? What's the purpose of it? If I tell you that another name for it used by the smart folks is the purification offering, what do you think the sin offering is for? Morning. Yes, purification. There's something is impure and we want to purify it. And blood does that. Right? The blood of the sin offering does that. Uh, how is this how is this done? What what do Aaron and his sons do before the bull is slaughtered? What what goes on there? They laid their hands. Why would they do that? It's such an odd thing. Passing their sin, it's transference, the smart folks would call it. It's transference of their sin to the bull. Make this as a substitute for me. Why would they do that? They're priests. They have to be more. In order to be mediators of the atonement for the people, they have to be pure. What does that tell you then? They're sinful people just like everybody else. Nothing special about Aaron and his sons other than God is setting them apart. They're sinful just like everybody else. They need to be atoned for. Their impurities are symbolically placed on the animal. The priests were as sinful as the people and equally in need of atonement. What does Moses do next? At, first of all, I love, the, I love the economy of words that the Holy Spirit inspires the writers of the Bible to use. And he slaughtered it. That's a lot of stuff in those few words. Um, we, have a, we have a male goat... We have several, but we have one that's fairly large. Getting him to do anything takes a lot of work. Um, a, a bull, a little bigger than a goat, a little stronger than a goat, and you've got men around this thing in front of everybody. This better not go wrong. You know, animals on set in a movie or whatever, they always stuff goes wrong. You've got everybody watching this, slaughtering a bull. Think about that. What's involved there? You ever watch that? We've sanitized meat. It's, it's very violent. It's very uh, difficult to do. Um, animals not wanting to die. There's something about the nature of life that wants to keep going. It's very graphic and very bloody. And so, and can be, I mean, I would think it would be dangerous a little bit to try to cut the throat of a bull. A lamb may be a little easier, but a bull? And they slaughtered it. Very simple statement. They all knew what that meant. They all had the picture in their head. We don't have that picture. We've sanitized it. It comes in cellophane and brookshires. 
So, what does Moses do with this blood next? Why would he do that? That's a very odd thing to do. To purify the altar. What's wrong with the altar? The altar was made by man. Interesting. It's been touched by rebels. Right? The altar itself is doing what the altar was created to do. It's sitting there. It's gold. But it's man who's in rebellion against God who's touched it and therefore has made it impure. And so, Moses takes this cleaning agent, this blood of the sacrifice that is the most powerful cleaning agent they have at their disposal at this time, and he puts it on the horns of the altar. We talked about this before. What does that mean? What does that symbolize? Why do it just on the horns? Why not just dump it on the whole thing? The horns are the symbol of the power. Okay. The, the extremities of the, the... Remember the altar was a box and it had like horns coming kind of out of it. All the replications in the pictures that we see in our study Bibles usually have this kind of... that looks like a, a horn thing on either side of it and because that's the way it looks. And so they, they got the blood and he put it on the tip's end of all these horns. Well, that symbolized the extremities of the thing being covered. It symbolized the whole thing. The whole thing is purified. And some of the smart guys think that by doing this to the altar, it actually represents the entire tabernacle because that's the focal point of where the people come to God. So they think, in their mind, by doing the tips of the horns of the altar, that's outside, the bronze altar that's outside, it, it symbolizes the entire tabernacle being purified by this cleansing agent, this blood of the sacrifice. Sin and impurity defile... The Lord's dwelling place. Remember, the tabernacle is where the Lord dwells. That's what, and He tabernacled among them. It says in John one. That's that's what that word is about. It's a dwelling place. The sacrificial blood is the most powerful cleansing agent available to Israelites at this point. His cleansing of the altar may also be a representation of cleansing of the tabernacle as a whole. It says to make atonement for it, and that word there means removing the sin and impurity of it. And we've already kind of talked about that that's because of it being touched by sinful man. Yet the sin offering is used to purify the entire tabernacle from the stain of the sin of man. Do you see the picture here, Christians? The sin offering is sacrificed. The blood is used to clean the entire dwelling place for God. Does that not a picture for us of what Christ has done? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, He made Him to be sin. And the idea there is to be the sin offering. Who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the, there's the picture. Christ's blood is an infinitely greater cleansing, cleansing agent than the blood of a bull. And this is where it begins. It begins with Him cleansing His people, His church, His temple. He's the sin offering. And the old guys used to have this term, that lay hold of Christ. You ever heard that? Some of the Puritan writers talk about like that. It's this transference idea. 
lay hold of him. Make this apply to me. The guy, the Pharisee and the tax collector, make that apply to me. It's, it's the transference there. When we lay hold of him, we are exchanging our impurity for his purity, our sin for his sinlessness, and we are made the very righteousness of God. It's not our righteousness. Aaron and his sons, did everybody say, yeah, these are the guys that need to be it? No. Aaron had just committed idolatry with the cash cow. Remember that? It's God's grace that appointed him this. Right? God um, institutes a sin offering for Aaron and his sons. It's not our righteousness. It's his. We bring nothing to the table except the sin that makes it necessary uh, to paraphrase Jonathan Edwards. We bring nothing to the table. Alright, look at verse 18. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram and he killed it. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces and Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat. He washed the entrails and the legs with water and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. Again, as the Lord commanded Moses. What's going on here? We just did a sin offering. Why do a burnt offering? What does that represent? What is it asking of God in the burnt offering? Isn't this the sanctification? That's the bread. That's, a, that's the bread offering, the grain offering. Well, that's coming. Coming. Burnt offering would be a, a, a request for... A, a request for acceptance to God. I'm a sinner. You're holy. Accept me. You know, it's it's a recognition of our unworthiness before God and that He is most worthy uh, of praise. Um, go ahead. The burnt offering is a is a general sinful. We're, we're sinners, and you're not, and and it's accept me. And sin is for like the sin offering is more for particular, specific to me kind of idea, and and also specific for this event kind of sin deal. And we have kind of an order here. Some of the, some of the guys will tell you that there's an order in these things where there's a sin offering, burnt offering, and peace offering. That's what we have here. I know that's always the case, but that's generally. It's it's the sin and the burnt offering is accept make make it acceptable may I be acceptable to you um, as a more general our nature is one that's unholy his is holy kind of idea so it, it's a progression again there's the sin atonement for sin there's the burnt offering that is may I be acceptable to you and then there's fellowship offering I'm now covenant right standing with God and that's kind of what we're seeing here. Um, again, the instructions for this particular offering are given in Exodus 29. But we've seen generally this offering in Leviticus 1, but it's different here. Who is bringing this offering? Who's bringing this? Moses, Moses is bringing this. He's the current mediator. He's the mediator. He's actually acting as the officiating high priest here, isn't he? This is a unique feature. 
of this of this deal. What if the purpose of the whole burnt offering is to gain acceptance? What does that tell you again about the priests? They need to gain acceptance. They're sinful men. Just like the rest of mankind. Right? They're sinful. They need acceptance before God. Compare Christ. Hebrews tells us, holy, blameless, undefiled. He had no need of a sin offering. He had no need of a burnt offering. And yet he lays himself down for those. Um, Christ needed no sacrifice. Hebrews 3. I'll give a little hint about Wednesday. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This ordination ritual that we're reading about this morning is repeated every time there's a new priest, new high priest. This is the way that they are inducted into that office. Not so with Christ. His sacrifice was not for himself, but for us, and God accepted his sacrifice. How do we know that? He sat down at the right hand of God. That's a place of honor. That's a place of acceptance. Uh, Hebrews 10.12 But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. That's a sign of God's approval. That, that position of being at the right hand of the Father is a sign of God's approval, His acceptance. Ephesians 1.20 says, According to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ and He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. It's a place of acceptance, a place of right standing and honor. What the burnt offering sought, Christ has achieved. He's made it possible. He's completed it. It's a once-for-all offering. Look at verse 22. Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. And he killed it. And Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he presented Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on their big toes, on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and the fat and all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and the right thigh. And out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with the oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination as the Lord commanded Moses. And we'll stop there today.
So we have the next sacrifice, the third one in this ordination ceremony, is this ram of ordination. Some, some of the guys will translate it a, a ram of installation. And again, we're fulfilling here, uh, he's fulfilling here, Exodus 29. What kind of offering is this? We've already kind of hinted at it. It's a fellowship offering, right? You see the idea of having a meal. Remember that when we talked about fellowship offering before, the offeror would bring in the, the sacrifice and then part of it would go to the priest, part of it would be a food offering to the Lord, and part of it would go to the guy who's worshiping and they'd all kind of eat together. There's bread involved because you always have to have bread with a meal. you got to stop it. And so that's why they had all that. Fellowship is a meal with God and the, and the mediator with God. What's different here? No, you don't. They don't get anything. Why? From what I see, what they get out of it is they, they were being uh, consecrated by the, the blood on their uh, extremities and all forms. Of the altar, yeah. They're, they're being consecrated on their extremities, which means what? First of all, it's just Aaron by himself that has this happen, the blood on the ear, the thumb, and the toe, which has to be an odd thing. And then the sons. sons. Why Aaron alone? What does that tell you? It sets him apart, doesn't it? As being a prominent guy in the deal. And then he does the sons. What What is the idea of the right ear, the right thumb, and the right toe? That's fun to do. The whole... The whole scale of your body. The whole scale of your body. From head to toe. Why the right side? God hates lefties. Is that, what we're, is that what we're saying? No. The right side is considered to be, in the culture, the strong side. Right? And, and by doing the ear, the thumb, and the toe, you have, from head to toe, is consecrated to the Lord. Um, some of the, one of the smart guys said this. I thought it was kind of clever. The ear, because the priest must at all times hearken. It's not funny. The priest must at all times hearken to the holy voice of God. The hand, because he must execute God's commands, especially the priestly functions. The foot, because he must walk rightly and holy. Maybe, but it's an interesting thought. Regardless, I'm sure there's a better quote. No, I just. Leaned over and said to her, I, "I can't wait to hear somebody allegorize that." Oh well, there it is. <laughs> Stones. Yeah, right, right. I tried, I really did. Um, so you have here the priest being consecrated holy. It's a, it's a visual. We use a word uh, a lot of times when we're in the Old Testament, merism. Um, we we use them in English from A to Z, youngest to oldest. And it usually means everybody in between, right? Youngest to oldest. Um, it's the same kind of idea here. It's a visual merism. It reflects the whole person. The priest belongs entirely to Yahweh. Look at verses 25 to 27. Moses takes the normal portions that would go to the priest during the fellowship offering and gives them to the priests. And we've already kind of pulled out, they don't eat them. Moses gives it to them. And then what happens in verse 28? What happens? 
he takes it back. Ah, you know, I'm hungry. What? He takes it back. And what does he do with it? He burns it. Their portion is burned. What were the pieces that they normally get? Which ones do they normally get? Do you remember? Talks about it right there in the deal. Well, not the fatty stuff. That just always burns. The right thigh, and then what's the other one? The 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 right the breast of the of the of the beast of the animal whatever's being sacrificed the, the priest would get the the breast of the wave remember the wave the wave offering and then there's the right thigh what happens to those two pieces what does that tell you the priestly portions go to Moses and as a food offering to the Lord who's officiating this thing. God is. Moses is God's representative. There's actually a joint officiation going on here. He gives the breast piece to Moses, which is a sign of honor, and he takes as his food offering the right thigh, which is also a sign of honor. God, through his mediator, ordaining this priesthood, the covenant of the priests. Um, all right. Have the priests done anything to earn this? No. Haven't they done exactly the opposite? <laughs> They've not done anything to earn this. It's all done to them. They are passive. They are washed. Aaron is anointed and his sons will be in the, in the verses we'll take up next week. The sons will be anointed. It's all done on their behalf. A couple of themes here we pull. Christ initiates a nation of priests. He is ordained. Um, Hebrews 5.5 5, So also Christ did not exalt Himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by Him who said to Him, You are My Son, today I have begotten You. When the smart guys talk of the crucifixion, they often speak of it in terms of Christ's passive obedience. It was done to Him. He just was a willing uh, sacrifice. He's the sin offering, not for Himself but for us. He is the burnt offering accepted by God who raised him up. He is also the fellowship or the peace offering as the mediator. Now, this is the odd thing. He officiates his own sacrifice. He's the mediator who officiates his own sacrifice. I don't... Nobody takes my life from me, he said. I lay it down and I have the power to take it up. He's officiating his own sacrifices. And he initiates peace for those to whom the covenant is intended. Hebrews 10.14 For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Remember, I had a cool snap this morning. I'm already starting to feel it. Jingle bells in my head. It's happening. I'm thinking of the angel's declaration. What was it? Peace on earth. Right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to everybody. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. Here's the kicker. 
He's not pleased with everyone. Those with whom He is pleased had nothing to do with it but to bring the sin that made the sacrifice necessary. Each element of this ordination ceremony reminds us that the, the priests bring nothing to the table. They bring nothing to it. That Aaron is in the tabernacle and not dead is a sure grace of God, as, as we'll see in chapter 10. Their ordination ceremony impressed upon the priests the weightiness of their calling. They didn't deserve to be there. It's a great responsibility to be set apart for service and minister in the presence of the Holy Covenant King. The ordination ceremony impressed upon them the need for full respect for their ritually holy state. Another effect of this, that they can't enter into this thing proudly. Do, do we see that? I mean, they, they can't puff themselves up as priests this is done to them. They had nothing to do with it. This week, this week I read a quote, I can't remember the Bible, so Jesus went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. Yeah, I think that is true. They can't, um, they're not holy in themselves. They were just as sinful as the other Israelites and just as much in need of atonement. We've talked about the contrast with Christ and the priesthood and that He was holy, blameless, undefiled. He didn't need these offerings. He didn't need these sacrifices. And yet, He took it upon Himself to, uh, for our sake and was elevated as our high priest. But we haven't really talked about the similarities with us. Um, I had the, the distinct privilege this Friday of, uh, of chaperoning um, on the bus with freshman girls to the band con the band thing at at uh, at Edgewood. So Emma's on the freshman girls bus. I asked the band director, would it be weird for a guy to be the chaperone? My daughter's on the bus. He goes, no, that's fine. So weirdness aside, awkwardness ensued. I get in, and we're on the ride up there. Uh, it was interesting. It was very loud, and and and. Uh, and they, and it was amazing to me. Uh, they sang all the songs I knew, you know. Apparently, freshman girls love Journey, you know. I, <laughs> who figured? It just happened, and so we're singing Journey the whole way. And ah! it is classics, yeah, yeah. So sorry for my parents, all the grief I gave them. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So we're, we're singing Journey on the way there. And then on the way back, uh, I rode with Emma. It was dark, and so I rode with her because I got scared. And, and w she got into this conversation with this girl about the nature. Uh, it was, the girl is Church of Christ girl, so obviously she wants to go to the baptismal regeneration thing, and Emma's not having none of that. And so she, they get into this discussion of what saves you. And eventually they get into, as you have to, election. God's sovereignty and salvation. And boy, that just sent her over the moon. Um, so Emma's in there going, what, are you stronger than Jesus? Because she believes that you can lose your salvation. Are you stronger than Jesus? And, and the, no, I'm not. Well, you're saying you can leave him after he's already paid for you if you're in Christ. Well, what are you, what are you doing? So again, my head's hitting the ceiling. I'm listening to my daughter have this theological conversation at 14 
And and so uh, the girl just keeps coming. I mean, she will not let it go. She just keeps coming at her. She kind of gets all arrogant, <clears throat> prideful for something she didn't earn. And um, and so she makes this statement ultimately because you have to be baptized. You have to choose to be baptized, and once you're baptized, then you're saved. That kind of thing. And I was like, no, 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 no. You're regenerated first. And out of a heart precedes faith, and then you act on that faith, and that's why you're baptized to display what's going on in the heart. So they're just going back and forth, back and forth, verse after verse after verse, and the thing. And Emma said, "I really didn't have a whole lot of verses. I just started with Ephesians two. You're dead." <laughs> and she kept. She looked at her every time she'd say, "Yes, but baptism saves you." And, and Emma says, "But you're dead. <laughs> but you're dead. And your trespasses and sins in which you once walked." following the course of this world. Right? That's where we start. Dead. And the girl makes this statement. It broke my heart to hear it. Our job is to save ourselves. And I know she didn't mean it the way it came off. I, don't, I really don't think she did. I want to give her the benefit of the doubt. But, but isn't that where that naturally leads us? If I think I add something to it, I save myself. I can walk in the tabernacle proudly. Right? I have something in which to boast. I saved myself. God, God got that worked out. Aren't you, aren't you proud of me, God? But you were dead. And Emma said, dead men don't say, help me. They stink. They're not doing anything. And she kept going at her and so I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I couldn't do it. And, and, and I, and I, and I, and I, I told this story. I have a family member. We grew up same church, same stuff. Today she hates Christ. Today I love him. Who made me to differ? Who made me to differ? Am I going to say I'm better looking? No. Am I going to say I'm more spiritually sensitive? No. Am I smarter? No. Who made me to differ? If Christ had not touched me, I'd still be in the grave. I'd still be dead. I can't come at this proudly. And it's a weighty calling. You don't strut because you were once dead and then alive. It's grace you're breathing, right? You can apparently write a bunch of books about visiting heaven and get lots of money, but, but you can't, you can't, anyway, you can't be prideful on that. Christ saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ, in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Titus 3.5, Paul says it again. He saved us, not because of, in case you didn't catch it in Timothy, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, we bring nothing to the table except the sin that made His life, death, burial, and resurrection necessary. And we come into this humbly. Do you see the picture here? Christ, our sin offering, purifying sinners and purifying His dwelling place, the church. Christ, our burnt offering, He is accepted and sits at the right hand of God. I'm dead... Ephesians 2.4 then goes into those beautiful 
introductory clause there. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us made us alive together with Him, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with Him. Accepted. Not only that, and seated us with Him. Where is He seated? In the heavenly places. Why? Those words, so that, lead us in. In the coming ages. Now think about that, the coming ages. We've had two so far. Pre-Christ, after Christ. And then he says, in the coming ages. And ages. And ages. He might show, think about this, the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. Are you not humbled by that? Feel the weighty calling that you have by the freeing nature of the grace of God from us. We don't deserve this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You want to be called a Christian, it's on his terms. You have nothing to offer. He went through his own ordination ceremony via the cross that he might secure the covenant promise of God for a nation of priests that he's gathering. If you're not a part of that nation of priests, repent and believe the gospel. If you are a part of that nation of priests, feel the weightiness of your calling and repent and believe the gospel. Christ for righteousness. I'll leave you with this. We've got to wrap up. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, I want to grab my ear, and soul, my hand, and body, my right toe, be kept blameless. Not keeping yourself. He's keeping you blameless. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want to be blameless when He appears because I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't be ashamed of His appearing. And yet, it's God keeping us blameless. Doesn't mean we don't sin. It means that when we do, we have an advocate for the Father who's been ordained, who's been set apart to ever intercede for us. Jesus Christ, the righteous. The foreign righteousness. Alright, any, any quick questions? We have ten minutes. I'm kidding. We, we don't have ten. <laughs> we got twenty. Alright, I'll pray. Father, that pride just sneaks in so easily. We want to puff out our chest and act like we are something before you. Thank you for the humbling 
pictures that you give us in this book Leviticus. That Christ, who knew no sin, became sin, became our sin offering, that we might become the righteousness of God is a very, very humbling thing. We can't do that for ourselves. And because of the grace that you've given us in Christ, we should act a certain way. We can't do it. We have no resources apart from you. We beg and we plead. And we plead thankfully, knowing that you hear our prayer because of what Christ has done, that you change us into his image, that you give us right hearts that mirror him and his character that love Him and forsake all the shiny objects that distract us. Father, help us to love You more. Thank You for Your Spirit that seals us and sanctifies us day by day by day. Thank You for the fellowship of believers that we live in community and are challenged and encouraged as a nation of priests. Holy set apart for service to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.